Sequel Cast 2 and Friends is a part of the HyperX Podcast Network. You're fearless! <laughs> no, Bible. Only fools are fearless. But I have learned that once you find out the facts about something scary, it helps make the fear go away. After the credits roll, there's always more to tell. Especially when the video sales are doing really well. From shock treatment to Jason X to Police Academy 6. This is Sequel Cast. And they are unsurpassed at following a franchise until the better end. This is Sequel Cast. And your hosts have asked that I inform you that the show will now begin. Hello and welcome to Sequel Cast 2 and Friends, a podcast looking at movies in a franchise one film at a time. I'm your host, Matt Bradley Shergi. We are looking at the final film to date of the American Tale animated quadrilogy, American Tale, Mystery of the Night Monster. So directed by Larry Latham with screenplay by Len Uli, uh, based on characters by David Kirshner. And uh, with me is Thrasher. I got your leash right here. And Alex. Hey there, I'm an old-timey stereotype. Bible's my guy Friday. Hey, what do you hear? What do you say, kid? Newspapers. Yep. Um, man, I mean, I guess you looking back on it last week, you know, we talked about American Tale, uh, the, the third one, the treasure on Manhattan Island and uh, or something like that. And uh, it I would call that like a soft reboot with how it dealt with American Tale, too. Yep, that's a, that's a good way to put it. <laughs> you, this, you would never know that this movie was a sequel to anything. No, no, it's very <laughs> odd, and um, I wonder if like both of these were made at the same time, or because they came out like nearly back to back with the release date. And I always find that as a consumer uh, who buys troubling. some physical, oh yeah, troubling, when it, you you go and you see, oh, uh, I don't know, Starship Troopers three and four came out in the same day, or I'm just making that up, just not a real example, <laughs> but right, and you go to the store and it's like, oh, these can't be good, or or Sci-Fi Channel did this for a lot um, with. Oh, geez. Uh, fuck me. Pumpkinhead 3 and 4. Um, and, and then you had the, what is it, like Land of the Dead, Rave of the Dead, or there's one one of those Romero films. Rave to the issue. Grave. Rave to the Grave. Yeah, there's... Um, uh, yeah, yeah. Day of the Dead, like, yeah, I think Day of the Dead was the one that had those weird issues. Um, man, when I worked retail and people at Movie Stop and we were selling movies, so we didn't rent them out, and... I just would just lie to customers all the time because they're like, is this movie good? And I would just always say yes. And then I'd get in trouble for that. And it's like, I'm not going to watch all this shit. <laughs> it's like, if you, if you really got my honest opinion, you'd probably leave. <laughs> and say, no, 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 no. Uh, yeah. They did let me one time choose what movies to put on a an outward facing shelf. Ooh. And I picked kind of like, uh, you know, science fiction, fantasy, horror, you know, all the kind of genre stuff. And like that stuff did terribly. And then they went mm-hmm. and then someone just put like the cheapest shit possible. And that stuff sold really well, like two dollar, three dollar sci fi channel. Go figure, right. <laughs> La Valanchula. Yeah. I mean, this is in Atlanta, Georgia, at a very crowded location by a mall or, or Marietta. Excuse me. Um, Those movies Atlanta. never live up to their title, except in the except that they literally will have what the title suggests, but not the movie the title suggests. But they sometimes have great cover art. Like uh, I, I, I love the color, the cover art for Velocipaster, which I think is <laughs> might be my favorite title in a long time. Well, at least anyway, that movie is trying. Yeah. 
Yes, um, Australian production, I believe. Anyhow, American Tale, Mystery of the Night Monster. Um, this was direct to, to VHS and then soon after DVD. And I, I don't know where Wikipedia gets off and saying this is a, a, a prequel to the second film. <laughs> Whoever wrote this, because it, the, the third movie clearly discounts the second film. I don't think that's a up for debate, but... You know, yeah, well, you know how I talked about how in the previous film, it was difficult to tell whether Tanya was Fievel's older sister, younger sister, or twin sister? This movie only compounds that, because in this movie, she would seem to be a full decade older than Fievel in Mouse years. Yeah, she's at least like five years older than him. Although, although this does raise some questions about mouse lifespans, because one of the characters makes a comment about how they were a journalist during the American Civil War. Right. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Yeah, that's. Hmm. That which, 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 like that would that would make the mouse like over? I think based on the timeline of this movie, like twenty human years old. This right. means only one thing: an American tale is a stealth uh, secret of Nims prequel. <laughs> Exactly. And, and, and that's the crossover switch. we want to see. I, I'd see that American Tale versus Rats and Nim. Yeah, go for it. Oh no, um, wait! I, I take that back. That would have been all. That would have been like thirty. That would make him thirty years uh, at least. Yeah. But still, quite old for a, a mouse. And what did he say? He said like my grandfather or something, or father yeah. or something. Here, Alex, can you unplug and replug in your headset? Yeah, sounding. Much better, thank you. All right, cool. Um, um, but yeah, that would make him a that grandfather or something. He said, uh, correspondent of the Civil War. Well, no, he specifically said when I was a reporter during the Civil right. War. Right. Yeah, that's the, weird. The, the newspaper, big newspaper mouse. Yeah. So yeah, I guess like Tanya. Uh, the way I see it is that like Tanya's a teenager, Fievel's a boy. Like. Yes. That's like I guess how I interpreted the. The, the the age and is this one that has a baby in it because i feel like they had like a legit baby in the mosque they, of its own they they did but again that the child's the the child's age seems to change based on the needs of the scene <laughs> sometimes it's like a three-year-old who can walk and say a word sometimes it's a babe wrapped in swaddlings i remember thinking i was like are they trying to make them seem more like cliche immigranty by like throwing more kids in there or something like you know what I mean? They're like, oh, oh, oh so yeah. Well, but that's the other thing. Well, you know, that actually, that is kind of strange. Okay, no, never mind. This tangent I must save for pitch a sequel. So I will <laughs> be silent. I, I can't risk another tangent. Yeah, uh, you mentioned all the kid stuff. It just makes me want to see Fievel do a, and the, the Mouskowitzes do a version of uh, Every Sperm is Sacred from Monty Python's Meaning of Life. <laughs> well, we can be thankful that this does not open with a horrible musical number. Oh, thank goodness. Instead, it opens with a poorly animated dream sequence. So, so this is a thing. Fievel's been through a lot and has a lot of character development and has yeah. had a lot of character development in each of the movies, even the bad one from last week. But like all terrible sequels, you must forget that character development happened. So for absolutely no reason in this film, Fievel is given the problem of chronic nightmares nightmares which have nothing to do with escaping cosat cats um right. which would be understandable and in keeping with his character's history it's just like he has nightmares and he's afraid of everything yeah which is it's it's kind of strange um and it's a 
kind of a weird framing device. And then it basically it basically says that like in this world we think monsters are real and they're talking about them in the newspaper. Well, you know that's you know that's the other thing. So so yeah, there there is a, a night monster, which I'll skip to the end. Of course, it's a machine that looks like a monster. Yeah. That's how the mice defeated the cats in, in the, the first one. <laughs> he made a fake m- monster. Yeah. So not only are they falling for their own trick, but at no point does anyone say, "Well, hey, you all remember like last month when we literally built a kaiju?" And used it against cats. Maybe someone's literally built a kaiju and is using it against us. And I'm going to say it now. The way this film should have ended, the night monster fights the giant mouse of Minsk. There yes. That would have happened. That is not what would we have get. Been, would have been satisfying. Would have been a callback to the original Or someone film. else finds the mouse of Minsk and is using it for dubious purposes. Ergo, these guys yeah. have to make a combating one. Something. I don't know. If I yes. No, I guess that's... Yeah. I will Inter- say... I liked that the business of like a lot of like makeshifty mouse stuff, like the tube line thing, the like, the the technology in this movie. I thought it was actually pretty damn cool. That was fun, and that whole sequence, yeah, where like the the pneumatic tubes used to send messages in the newspaper office that the mice had turned that into a little subway. That was so charming, and I love that the mice never had just like miniaturized human items. Every everything the mice had was a was like something to scale it was like human trash to scale so like right. yeah like like the, the seats they sat in were like old tuna cans with paperclip handles and like how like the the when the mouse newspaper man is drinking from a mug his mug is the bottom of an old incandescent light bulb like those yeah. deep that's one thing this movie does very well are those little details the coat hangers a bent up fork yeah, like I think that I love that stuff. Um, and I'm not gonna lie, I kind of like this movie a little bit. It's just uh, probably that's my hot take. I kind of think this movie's kind of cool. Um, well, it has I, one premise and it sticks to it, and that does yeah, help. Yeah, yeah, it doesn't okay, overcomplicate gracious. things. And I, I think the the opening with a nightmare, even though it, it does look sort of cheap, uh, at least gets your attention. And, and, and you notice, things, like the devil yeah. mouse, the fiery devil mouse that's chasing Bible. Yes. You notice it looks a hell of a lot like one of the uh, fiery devil cats from All Dogs Go to Heaven. Oh yeah, yeah. And I was I also thinking of All Dogs Go to Heaven too, where it had a uh, an evil dog with the like a devil dog imagery, satanic imagery with a dog. Um, yeah. mm-hmm. But yeah, but that's that's essentially what gets this going. Is that you know the the cats are still gone. On. So since the second film was was a was a dream, uh, and there were no cats in the previous film other than oh, yeah. Tiger in this fourth film, you know presumably they did defeat the cats once and for all. But the mouse live in a, the mice live in a weird security state where they've built a wall with like passport checks and things <laughs> to get in and out of their alleyway, which is a like I I feel like that should have been commenting on something, but I'm not sure it was. Right. Um, because because it's because it's almost like they went right back to a shtetl, frankly, which is that's depressing. If you flee, if you flee the shtetl, come to America and then build your own shtetl. That's right. fucked up. Um, but it, but anyway, like mice are disappearing. There's like monster attacks and then mice disappear. And uh... it's time to tap in with the HyperX Quadcast S microphone. The stunning HyperX Quadcast S features dynamic, customizable RGB lighting 
a convenient tap to mute sensor, and four selectable polar patterns. So we can broadcast crystal clear audio, whether you're gaming, streaming, podcasting, or impressing your remote colleagues and classmates. So what are you waiting for? Join the Quad Squad and tap in today with the HyperX Quadcast S microphone. I gotta say, I liked this character. They introduced a new character, Nellie Bree, the the plucky lady mouse reporter, who is based on the real plucky reporter Nellie Bly. Who read up on her? She lived an amazing life. Yeah, I I like this. She's doing like, like a. They're totally doing like a Carrie Hepburn, Carrie Grant, Catherine Hepburn thing. These. Oh days. yeah, it's all rat a tat tat. We're gonna get the scoop. We're gonna find out what's going on, and if there's corruption, we'll suss it out. Now it's I'm gonna talk to the boss, mad back in the paper. See you soon, kid. Yeah. <laughs> and you know, I, I I also thought it was kind of cute that Tanya's like over the moon about him, and then you can tell Fable's digging her too. Just a well, that's bit. well, that's the other thing is like is that Tanya, again, she would seem to be a teenager because she works now at the at the newspaper. She's like kind of a gopher at the newspaper. And Tony is a newsboy, which right off the bat, I'm like, oh, are they going to do the newsboy strike? No, they're not. But that mm. could also be worthy of a movie. And maybe, frankly, it should. Oddly enough, maybe that should have been here to thicken out the stew a little bit. Um, but this does introduce... So this does introduce a weird dynamic. So, so there is uh, the... The the guy oh crud the 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 Reed Daily clever the 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 mouse reporter who now is like the editor for the mouse newspaper um, of course he and Nellie end up having a romance and they get together at the end of the movie which is actually kind of sweet but they have this thing where like Tanya has a crush on Reed Daily and it's and it's sort of weird because on on the one hand that is kind of real like I I speaking for myself and a lot of people I know when you get to a certain age you inevitably develop a romantic crush on a much older person and that's just kind of yeah. part of growing up now if that person knows finds out about it and takes advantage of it that person is a goddamn monster um <laughs> But it's just it's just something you go through. You have an attachment to someone who cannot and should not reciprocate. And it's just like a it's like a thing. And they give Tanya that for Reed Daly, which when it's first introduced is kind of cute. But then it just keeps going. And it just is. We it just starts to feel really weird. <laughs> uh, it should be noted that uh, Reed Daly is voiced by Robert Hayes, who uh, we previously talked about a long time ago on uh it was an airplane. Past. An airplane, yeah, the lead in airplane one too. Oh. I need a, I need those good with the ratatat dialogue and all that. But it's like mm-hmm. it's like it's at some point, look, just just let just let Tanya and, and Tony hook up because Tony's girlfriend is gone. Uh and like they're they're they at least in this movie, they seem to be the same age. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I like that like, um you get some more Tony business. And I like that they kind of stuck with this character. Like he's, he's always like hitching up his pants and like, you know, fixing his hat and straightening up. You know, he's always kind of bumbling about with himself. It's a, it's a good little character for He's a bit like an artful dodger in uh, exactly. Oliver. Well, well, I also like that he wants to be upwardly mobile. Yeah, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a newspaper boy today, but one day I could be an ace reporter. Mm-hmm. Oh, hey, hey, Tony Baloney. Yeah, he's always he's always right. trying to get into the higher echelons of the newspaper, which yeah. I, I I rather liked. 
I remember when uh, they're investigating the thing. He's like, I told you to stay behind, and you ignored me and came out anyway. You'll go far in this business, see? <laughs> <laughs> and and so another another missed opportunity because like Fievel, Fievel, you know, uh, Tanya brings Fievel to work with her, and he uh, ends up kind of he ends up following Nellie Bree around. Not not his sister. Like there's there's a part of me there was even there was a part of me that's like, oh, this is going to be Fievel's sister's movie. No, it's not. She gets relegated to the sidelines second, after being yeah. what brings all the after being the one who brings all the principal characters together, um, and like Fievel, Fievel kind of like is following Nellie Bree around and is like making sketches of the monster based on like witness descriptions, and the whole time I'm like, oh, this could be really clever. Like you could have Fievel like learn to become an artist, and we could see his drawings improve in each scene, and he could learn that maybe this is what he's going to be when he's an adult. He's going to be like the sketch guy or the political cartoonist at the newspaper. No, he never gets any better. It's all these kids uh, drawing. Yeah, he never but gets I, attached to the art. I do like that. Uh, the uh, that Reed calls him Rembrandt. Like, come over here, Rembrandt. But oh, and then and then okay, so we get we get a proper sort of antagonist in this one because like there's there's a there's a French a pink French poodle fortune teller named Madame Mousset, pr- spelled mousy but pronounced Mousset. Yeah. Uh, played played by uh, Candy Milo, who's a longtime voice actress, and she's really given it her all. She was on SWAT Cats uh, among other among many other things, and she keeps switching back and forth between this like affected French voice and this angry like Runyon-esque Brooklyn accent. And she's pretending to be a soothsayer and like selling people like bags of herbs to ward the night monster away. And that's her whole scam. Turns out she's the mastermind behind the night monster. And you kind of know that right away when you see her selling like pulpuses, you know, you're like, yeah, that's clearly going to be our heavy right there. Yeah, because like because like so if this was more clever, she would just be a stooge of the real villain who would turn out to be warranty rat back from Hong Kong using the mice's own strategy against them. But uh-huh. no, it's not. She like her her whole backstory is needlessly complicated. She was the pampered poodle of um of the wife of the man in charge of public works in New York who runs the sewers and she gets tired of being referred to as a cute little mouse of a dog. So she runs away, moves to join the stray dogs who live in Central Park. They kick her out and you would think they kicked her out because she's a tiny dog who can't run with the big dogs in the pack. But no, I'm pretty sure they kicked her out because she's an asshole. So she's not sympathetic right. at all. <laughs> well, I thought she was abandoned because I, I thought because they moved. It shows them like moving furniture and like, like I forgot. The oh, that she was oh, left oh no, no, no. She says that they were moving and one of the movers left the door open and that's how she escaped. Oh, OK. All right. Uh, but yeah. And then like she. Again, like she doesn't want revenge. On, like she doesn't want revenge on the dogs, but she like organizes New York's remaining stray cats together in a gang, builds a builds a robot night monster that can burrow and and kidnap mice, and then they're ho- keeping the mice in cages and then presumably selling them to other cats. Needlessly complicated. Does not tie into her background at all. Yeah, like. I was like, is she rabid or something? Like, maybe that's why the dogs kicked her out. I was like, oh, she's probably just obnoxious, I guess. But yeah. yeah, but it's yeah, and it's and it's one of the and this is another problem with the with the investigations is that like you know because because it like burrows up and grabs the mice and like goes goes away. Um, wherever the night monster has attacked, there are these big holes in the floor. They don't think they don't cons- they never they never just go in the hole and see where it goes. 
Yeah, this is one of those things where it's one of those movies where I like it when the story isn't happening. Like, I just kind of like when they're just kind of like doinking about the the newsroom or like walking a beat and stuff like that. Like the interactions amongst the characters I enjoy. Then when the story pops up, I'm kind of like, eh, less interested. You are um, absolutely I, right. Yeah, like it's it, it's like a it's like a bad western, you know. Like when they're hanging around and playing guitar and getting drunk, it, it's a lot of fun. Then like, all right, we have to do stuff. And it's like, oh shit, I was having more fun doing <laughs> this. And something and something else that's it's you know because of course it, it's it's going after like mice you know everywhere so like there's like it goes after it like it attacked a family of mice in Chinatown so they go there and they interview the wife of the mouse who went missing and oh, it really it's 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 an embarrassing scene because because oh yeah on the one hand yeah New York did have a Chinatown at that point you did have people living there wearing more traditional Chinese garb but it but it is just this like stereotype of a mouse speaking in like a real stereotypical broken English. Um, and then later there's one mouse that like survived an attack and it's a Scottish, it's a Scottish mouse. Uh, and I, and when the mouse showed up, I sarcastically said, Oh, and here's Scotty O'Haggis. And wouldn't you know it? <laughs> his name is Mr. Haggis. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and his whole thing is, I was making some shortbread. First, it's soda <laughs> bread, not shortbread. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and like, yeah, I pour some butter down its throat. It looked like Nessie. <laughs> Get in my belly, Fievel. Right. <laughs> I mean, and, and they're quite different. Like, shortbread is this rich, buttery thing. It's uh, more of a cookie. It's and... a dense, delicious dessert. <laughs> It's cookie so you can eat like a cake. Yes, yeah, and, right. and and soda bread is this. Uh, I mean, it's dead. Thing. <laughs> but yes, I um, I think what stands out to me about this movie, the the uh, you're right, the, the poodle being such an asshole is so obnoxious right off the bat that. Um, you're right that it's not a surprise and I just found the characters so like almost too annoying at times like maybe if there would have been a bit of a, a an arc to her performance it, we could have got something like maybe if she started kind of sweet and then became like you learned her backstory and she was mean and had more of motivation but instead she's like she's like Jack Nicholson in The Shining right she's like on yeah. 11 from the get-go so, so strangely enough, I feel like the most memorable thing is that she ha- she has a bunch of uh, cats working for her, but her three main henchmen cats, one it sounds like Sylvester Stallone, one sounds like <laughs> Squiggy from Lenny and Squiggy, and the other sounds like Jerry Lewis when he remembers he's supposed to sound like Jerry Lewis. Yeah. <laughs> hey, you know, it's great. You know, you got this mechanical monster thing, you know. Hey, hey, oh, hey. lady, he poured butter and it hurt me. <laughs> a glaven, yeah. <laughs> he did, yeah, he did everything short of a glaven. Right. <laughs> hey, you know. so, well, I guess we should talk about the music, because yeah. we do get the three yes. requisite musical numbers. The only I one... that the one, right? Like, we're we're doing three. Yeah, we did, we are doing three, and like the the one the the one that I I liked is get the facts where it's uh, Nellie Bree t- singing to Fiebel about what a reporter's job is, uh, and you know, and, and you know, get the facts, learn the whys and where's and who, just get the facts, and like it's 
Yeah. It's it still sounds like a first draft, but it like it feels like the first draft of a really good song. If this had been a little faster, a little tighter in the writing, and a little more rat a tat tat, this could have been a truly show stopping number. Yeah, it's um one, it's consistent with the material that you're watching, unlike <clears throat> the last movie. Um and <laughs> two, it's kinda catchy. That's the thing is is that it can be a first draft if it's catchy enough. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you know, like if, if 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 you've got a good little hook, a good little chorus, then yeah, you know, roll with it. And I also like that it's performed by the actors. Yeah, and that helps. And 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 like it's talk singy. It's sort of talk singy, but in a good natural way. Then you know we get the villain number uh, sung by Madame Musset, uh, "Creature de la Nuit," uh, which literally means "Creature of the Night," where. It's just her singing about I I I I'm the monster blah blah blah. It's just it's, yeah. It's the bad guy song. Yeah. It's and then of course you get the sappy song when they turns out there's a sake there's a dog council and this is the one that lives in Central Park and this is one of the weird things is that like in all the previous movies there are like analogs between like all the different creatures and like different parts of the world where they may have come from. Yes. These dogs might as well be magical ghosts. Yeah, there it's a it's a little weird. And like and like you think like there are dog breeds associated with specific parts of the world. The closest they get is their leader is a great Dane who sounds vaguely British, but like you could have <laughs> a Scotty dog from Scotland, like you could have had well, dogs with accents that aren't forced. Well, um, and also and, they're just boring. Like yeah, you know, there's no they're, they're not like scruffy or funny. They don't have like hats or anything. They're just fucking dogs, you know. Yeah, like, the dog co- that goes by the name of of no lone wolf is, is Nellie's contact in the dog council. And when he says, well, we can't help you. This is not our fight. And then they sing a song called who will, which is, you know, all about coming together, helping people. And like, and like, and like the, the, and the message is good. You know, if, if there's something, if there's something that won't be done, if you're not going to do it, then who the hell is going to do it? You've got to take that initiative, but it's so slow and so sappy. Yeah. I feel like the dogs were like designed and conceived by someone who had zero point zero interest in these characters. <laughs> <laughs> They're like, we need like four or five dogs. Like, oh fuck! Well, you're getting four or five dogs. That's it. I'm not getting hats. You're not getting accents. They're not getting stripes. Right. It is worth noting, Thrasher. You mentioned, you know, there there is a pretty good team on uh, the the prior American Tale film, the third one. This one, it has a different one, still out of Japan, but it's Tama Productions. Yeah, I am not familiar with Tama Productions, so, but they do not hold a candle to uh, TMS. Right. So, I mean, as far as uh, uh, Western animations, they did a lot of work on on some of the Disney afternoon stuff, uh, Goof Troop, Gargoyles, Hercules, the animated series. But it, as far as other stuff, things like um, Eight Crazy Nights, ugh, mm-hmm. I don't really like the animation in that, and some of the Alvin and the Chipmunks direct-to-TV cartoons, like uh, Alvin and the Chipmunks meet Frankenstein and the Wolfman. And your mom, or whoever, whatever else it is. <laughs> they they did a RoboCop parody. Uh, yes, I, I I loved that show, Chipmunks at the Movies. But yeah, I think <laughs> RoboCop is somewhat inappropriate. But it already had two animated series at the time, so fuck it. <laughs> RoboCop. You, you can't you can't get enough of that song, Thrasher. I think you no, have I that can't. MP. No, it, I think you have that MP3 on your phone, and you have it like on a loop as your alarm. It's- it's terrible and it's it's brilliant in its terribleness. <laughs> but still catch I mean that's the thing. Like it's it has something to it. The, yeah, but, the but because we have to raise the stakes, eventually the yes. night monster attacks Fivel's home and uh 
in the scene that actually is kind of scary, uh, kidnaps his parents. Uh, you know, they they find him. You know, they find Tony. You know, finds where the cats are keeping him. He saves them by flooding the chamber. Uh, then the cats chase. Like the ending just keeps going. Like the cats. They're going to use the night monster to attack the mouse newspaper, but then the cats are there, and there's a whole there's a whole kerfuffle. Um, and I do have to wonder because they in all these movies they've always done a really good job of keeping the human world and the animal world um, sort of parallel but separate. But there's some shit that happens with the night monster in the human newspaper offices that cannot be ignored. Mm-hmm. I want to know what happens when the when the newspaper people go into work the next morning and find a robot, the wreckage of a robot monster in their destroyed offices. Made by <laughs> animals and rodents. <laughs> yeah. Although I will say the design for the night monster is kind of clever because it's all made out of like period appropriate items. Like it has this like barrel mm-hmm. body. Uh, it yeah. has like. It has this thing where, like, there's this, like, flashing cat monster head with a mouth that opens and closes, but it's created by, like, a zeotrope that's worked into the head of the monster. It's actually, it's kind of neat. Like, some care went into designing what this night monster mechanism looks like. It's like something from, like, one of the, like, shitty Sherlock Holmes stories no one gives a crap about. Like, not the <laughs> book of Sherlock Holmes, like, the, the case study files of Sherlock Holmes. Oh, like, yeah, when somebody does a new Sherlock Holmes story, but they yeah. can't decide what to do, so they just introduce a ghost and sort of Scooby-Doo it at the end. Yeah, exactly, yeah. yeah it's, but, you know, you know, they, the, you know the, mice, the mice win, Bree uh, and uh, Nellie Bree and Reed Daly confess their love to each other and hook up. It's like, oh, but we can't get married. We'll be miserable. To, well, I guess we'll have to get married. Of course, we'll be miserable together. Well, I wouldn't have it any other way. And I guess Tanya has to reconcile with that, but she doesn't really age. And Fievel has gotten over his completely affected phobias. Yes, And it just kind of ends. Although this movie, this movie raises one hell of a question. Because, you know, we've seen talking cockroaches. We've seen talk. We know that all birds can also talk, you know, and all the all these animals can talk. We know dogs can talk. Horses can't. Horses are just animals because they ride a horse in this one. (laughs) (laughs) And they they don't say, please, Mr. Horse, save us. And he goes, "Okay." Uh, no, they go, well, here we go. This is going to hurt him. And they bite the horse's butt. The horse whinnies and runs. The horse never goes, oh, why'd you bite my tuchus? Uh, right, it's, yeah. it's just a, the horse is just an animal. I think it's one of those things where it's like since people use them, you can't like give them like but, sentience. <laughs> but people use dogs and all dogs talk. True. Yeah. There's sleighs and stuff. Interesting. Yeah, I don't know. I think. um yeah, I don't know. There's oh, no and fish, then uh, Ma- movies. You notice that there's no fish. Yeah. Oh, and then Madame Musset gets wrapped up in the in the morning paper because that's where she ends up after the fight and gets left and gets left on her owner's footstep. And so we, you know, we end with you know her being dragged on a leash by her owner who's like doting on her, and she and Madame Musset hates it. But this is another another thing about how, keeping sort of the human world and the mouse world separate. This is the first time we've seen humans have sustained dialogue. Usually, it's just kind of sort of a murmur in the distance. Yeah, it does not work. It does not work at all. It clashes so much with the film, the way these humans look and move and talk. Yeah, it definitely bumps a little bit for sure. Also, I feel like this is one of those movies where. I feel like if you took, like, the story of, like, the, the newspaper, I'll just, I'll just say you just take the story, and I feel like if you took this, like, kind of style of storytelling, 
and you made it as a film like intended for like more mature audiences and got rid of like the kiddie stuff like the songs and like the crappy villain character building like it would actually be a way better movie yeah, there's a seed of a great sequel in here right it's completely yeah trodden it's, over yeah it's it's just funny because like if you took the tropes of like quick talking newspaper stuff she and like if you just like matured it a little bit then i think it would actually be like a pretty good movie but you just fall into these like kind of trappings of like like i'm the bad guy song and then like you know <laughs> <laughs> like all this other kind of cliche crap it, it, it weighs it down but i will say i, I have i this is Head and shoulders, I think, better than the last one, but the bar is not that high, so. Yeah, it's it's a weird way to go. I'm not sure why. The ending on Coney Island also seems tacked on, where they're just at the beach, and then Five is like, oh, Five will come now, get some sleep, and he just falls asleep. <laughs> yeah, that's sort of a lazy ending, but I agree that this, um, it's more inspired, even if the, the telltale thing of the villain is is pretty obvious and uh, also she looks like yeah. she looks like bad fan art of georgette from oliver and company oh my god <laughs> yes good good point yeah because that was on but it was streisand right uh i thought no i think georgette was um uh, bet midler excuse me yep bet midler you're right and cheech marin has the chihuahua oh nice of course like, I always thought that that was going to be the twist, is that she's not a poodle. She was like a chihuahua that, like, some unscrupulous breeder tried to pass off as a poodle or something. Cause, like, what her, if instead her, of her, her being a poodle, what if she was a rat? Well, yeah, because they even make a comment about that. You've already had multiple examples of, like, members right, of one species impersonating another. Yeah, um, there you go. Um, But, yeah, I would say sequel yes to this. I, I think it's has some has some fun to it is it the best story in the world no but it, it's shakespeare compared to number three and, um you could <laughs> well, do far worse than than throwing this in and, and watching it and and it's short i like that these are under 80 minutes long uh alex yeah hot take i like this um well, i wouldn't say i liked it i i enjoyed it, <laughs> it it, 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 I, I didn't I didn't hate it. Um, no, this was I thought this was um, like like you said, the compared to number three, this is fucking, you know, yeah, this is Shakespeare. Um, I, I think it's got more focus. I think it's got it introduces some interesting characters. It, it has um, I think it like knows when to have more fun. Uh, it's it doesn't take itself too seriously. And I think it establishes a nice tone and kind of. It kind of uh, harkens back to the, the some of the characteristics that made the first movie so indelible. So yeah, sequel yes, yeah, surprisingly. I'm I'm going to give it a, a sequel. No, it is un, uh, so. Mm. Mystery of the Night Monster is undeniably a better movie than the the Treasure of Manhattan. But I can't let the fact that I can't let the fact that a cold poker feels better than a red hot poker uh, <laughs> make me think that the cold poker is a good thing. So I gotta, I gotta give this a, a sequel. No, if you're going to watch the sequels, maybe this one won't truly disappoint you, but it's, it's overall, like I think it's only really worth seeing for completeness sake. It gives you a middle note to go out on. <laughs> yes. Middle. Middle middle of, uh, but I, I think it, it's I still had more fun with this than the third one but 
can agree to disagree. That's what we do here. Go on to pitch a sequel. It's tough to think of American Tale sequels, except it's not because I did, as we all have to. Um, Tiger's Great Adventure. Tiger is. Hello, can you hear me? Yes. There's a little Skype beep in there. Okay. Tiger was being a little uh, goofball. People don't know what happened in the origin story, but maybe he hears. Um, he says, you know, I, I know I'm kind of a funny guy. I'm going to do uh, stand up uh, comedy, and it'll be about Tiger inventing the art of stand up comedy. And you get kind of into the borscht belt and things like that. <laughs> so it'd be called maybe instead of Tiger's Great Adventure, Tiger's a stand up. Tiger's a stand up cat or something. Yeah, like Some Tiger. Overly wordy. Let's loose. <laughs> that, yes. And every time I say Tiger, my brain goes to Tigger. He, well, you know what? He has to have a crossover. Then you can do another one where he crosses over with Rover Dangerfield. <laughs> I get no yes, and uh, what was the, what was the um, the rooster one? Oh, that was uh, Rockadoodle. <laughs> yeah, so Rockadoodle, uh, Rover, Rover Dangerfield, and, and Tiger. I I like Rockadoodle. I think that's a very charming little movie. I know we saw them when I was a kid. I have no uh, frame of reference for what. Yeah, no memories of of them. You'll appreciate it more if you know more about Elvis, particularly his film career. Ah. I see. And we covered a series that talked about Elvis uh, somewhat in, in passing with uh, Lilo and Stitch. Mm, yes. There you go. Uh, Thrasher. All right. So uh, my uh, my pitch is sequel. So to get to get onto that that tangent. So the one aspect of the immigrant experience that they have not touched on in any of these movies is when you are the child of immigrants. So, like, I, I want to do a movie where the Mouskowitzes, they have one more kid who is born in America and is the first natural-born American Mouskowitz. So this one will be set probably, you know, maybe in the, the 20s or so. Like, they, like he'll, he'll, be, he'll be sort of like a teenager. Fievel's going to be his uncle. Papa Mouskowitz has died of old age uh, and possibly exhaustion from all the kids he's been making. Um, <laughs> Fievel has taken over the fiddle business. Uh, Tanya is a reporter because I really want some level of continuity. Um, and it's all about, it's all, and, and it's really, it's, it's all going to be about this American Mouskowitz kid who is... He, he, he's getting ready to become a man and he's going to have to go through his bar mitzvah because I really think these movies are at their best when they remember that the Moskowitzes have Jewish roots. And so it's essentially, it's going to be about him sort of being the very definition of a model of a, of a modern American, but also sort of connecting with his family's, with his family's heritage and, and like roots in the old country. And that will be, and that will be the big climax of sort of this heartwarming moment where he he does his bar mitzvah and like all the other characters that we've seen in the films like will be there as guests uh and it'll just it'll just end on a kind of a nice touching moment very cool and i guess you know because fievel was uh was spielberg's grandfather uh we'll we'll name this mouskowitz kid after uh after uh, spielberg's father keep that connection too uh -huh. 
The, these movies really did lose something when Spielberg wasn't involved. <laughs> oh, you bet. Money. <laughs> Certainly. And uh, in fact, Spielberg has a, a film coming out that's sort of uh, loosely based on his life um, as a young man. And I think Seth Rogen plays his father in that. Oh, huh. no shit. But it doesn't come out until next year because uh, he still has what West Side Story I don't think is out quite yet. But I think it's in previews now. And I hear actually I hear Shecky Spielberg is also going to do a movie about his life story. Oh, That's yeah, right. yeah. It's going to be uh, all about Oh, Shecky, us. you're here. Yeah, yeah I, I've been here the whole time. I hide in plain sight. I did that thing where I, I paint my body like the things that are in, in the in the room. And then I come mm-hmm. out and booby, 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 booby. That's how I met both Eric. Well, there that, you go. So that explains the ooby booby 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 that I've been hearing during certain very intimate moments. Uh, I would thank you <laughs> to not do that any longer. <laughs> well, you know, uh, Chuck, you you love to add to the ambiance of stuff, but but you have quite a storied life. So how can you cram that into one feature film, and what do you pick and choose? Well, what I do is that I write each. I get a roll of toilet paper and I write each story on a square, and then I roll that square down some stairs. And when it, when it doesn't rip, that's that's the story I use. So, because you always you don't want gaps in your timeline, and you want continuity. That's one thing I learned from Baby Brother Steve is that when it comes to storytelling, it's all about rolling that roll of toilet paper down the staircase and seeing how it rips or if it doesn't rip. But you got to use quilted bounty. Um, that's the that's the good stuff right there. You can't can't use any of that. Uh, you know. Um, you know. Uh, that that generic store brand stuff and quilted bounties giving me money to say this. Or the uh, stuff you, you steal from the hotel. Oh, you steal everything. I, I, I take the light bulbs. <laughs> the, the light bulbs are, are important and because um, you always need lighting and film. And speaking of which, what format are you filming on these days, Shecky? Uh, the price of traditional film has been uh, going through the roof as it becomes more scarce. I always found traditional film to be criminally overrated. The, uh, the optics on the iPhone 4 are by bar none the best out there. You can get an iPhone J or an iPhone 4 or, or an iPhone Nokia, but I prefer the optics on the iPhone 4. And with its four gigabyte drive, the, 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 the possibilities are endless. But doesn't it get sometimes shaky? Do you, do you have a tripod? Uh, you just hold it in your hand? Uh, you strap it to your forehead? How do you? I uh, duct tape it to a cheese grater and I, 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 I stick my hand in the cheese grater, but you got to put it in the grater, not on the grater, because otherwise it'll chop up your hand and then you'll look like you have a, a ham salad hand and then a, a dog tries to bite your hand and then your, your steady cam rig, I mean the cheese grater with the duct tape for the iPhone 4, falls on the ground and then you get sad because you also dropped your Cinnabon. And then the ants are all over it. Have you ever tried a, a Cinnabon in a cheese grater? That make you know that makes a pretty good topping for a lasagna. A I, I garnish of... my salads with it. Actually, I let the Cinnabon get all stale, and then I, I do it. I, I scrape it on top of my salads, my iceberg salad, because uh, we're related, you know, iceberg and I. Cinnabon, iceberg, Spielberg. That's what Steven Spielberg never talks about. He's embarrassed of that side of the family and of me for some reason. Well, that's uh, that's fascinating. Thank you so much, Shecky, for for um, your thoughts. And we look forward to your upcoming film. What's what's the title again? Oh, um, through the eyes of the great Cinnabon. Okay, <laughs> is it spelled like the uh, the company or a different spelling? Or is it like Cinema Cinnabon? Oh yeah, no, we just put a hyphen in the middle. That's how you get away with everything. Hyphens are the best thing ever. <laughs> I just thought they meant subtraction, like. Com- complicated algebra so, so you thought it was like spider minus man 
It's so confusing because you take away the man, what do you get? Just a spider. <laughs> yeah, and you know, just like a, a spider in Arachnid has eight legs, Spider-Man now has eight sequels, so... <laughs> I, I think, think my favorite there. podcast is going to have to cover that. I think so, yeah. It's actually shocking that we... No, we covered one through three, I think, at one point. But We, we did. Uh, now there's ago. another three and also two more and also another one. Something so like, yes. Three legs, that makes him a trider man? A good night, Chuck. You're drunk. <laughs> I love it when he stops by. Yeah, yeah, he's a, always a welcome presence here on Supercraft. We need to stop giving him keys to wherever we're recording. <laughs> it's... Yeah, he is. He is kind of the the key master. Well, then we'll just sneak in through the window. You know, it's, it's best to just give him that agency. <laughs> right. Um. So, what, Alex? Do you still have to do pitch a sequel? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, so oh, I'll keep it short and sweet. Um, okay. Thanks. So it turns out that um, uh, you know, Tony doesn't really have a future in the newspaper business. However, he is something of a sleuth. So what does he do? He opens up his own private eye agency. And then his cronies are Fievel, Tanya, and, of course, Tiger. So they go about the the city solving mysteries and breaking scoops for um, uh, Mr. and Mrs. Newspaper Face. You know, pistol, weebie polio. Um, <laughs> and then it's going to be called American Tale, um, the Great Mouse Detective, but the great is GR8. <laughs> Because it's a cheese crime. Because it's a cheese. What do you hear? What do you say, kid? I made my best friend out of clay. Then he came to life. What is he, a golem? (laughs) That could be another good pitch of sequel. Papa Mouskovitz makes a friend out of clay because he's got Alzheimer's and then he becomes a golem. Oh, that's awful. Also, (laughs) what what is the giant mouse of Minsk if not a golem? Oh, yeah, you're right. We've already covered it twice. Well, the golem is one of a uh, yeah, a very uh, ancient Jewish. Uh, you call it a myth, a story. I don't. Uh, it probably qualifies as. I would say probably qualifies as myth, not legend. Uh, yeah, but yeah. It's, it's um, part of the folklore, absolutely. I think it is, and it appears a... different times in movies. And I never would have made that connection to the first film, but you're not you're not wrong. I mean, it's a it's a variation on the Frankenstein story, I think, in some ways. And yeah. Well, I mean, Frankenstein is a variation on the story of the golem. Well, yes. Excuse me. Correct. Um, yeah. Frankenstein versus golem. That's what we need here, really. There we go. <laughs> Stein v. Golem. Dawn of Prometheus. <laughs> there can only be one modern Prometheus. <laughs> there is... Um, Either of you, I guess we can transition into what you're watching. The um, play is going to pay. Yeah, I, I, I've been. <laughs> the Hardcore Gaming 101 podcast is on a mission to rank the top games of all time. I like the idea that when Bruce Wayne gets angry, he switches to the Batman voice. Uh, Why do you have such a problem making boomerangs shaped like a bat? You mean Jerk. like Batman? Not like Batman, just make it for me. Bruce Wayne, I can't even with this guy. It's a Herculean task, and I'd be lying if I said it hasn't taken a toll on our cognitive faculties. Most people would be happy to have a job during a global pandemic. (laughs) Dennis. Hardcore Gaming 101, twice a week, every week, right here on the HyperX Podcast Network. Explode When Defeated presents something really neat and full of meat. Those children aren't going to protect themselves in a brand new podcast series about everyone's favorite giant reptile. Godzilla? No, we already did that one. Rodan? No, uh, we did that one too. Gorgo? Gamera. 
We're talking about Gamera. From turtles to medieval samurai golems on our new series, Demolition Die. Only on the HyperX Podcast Network. SequelCast 2 and Friends is part of the HyperX Podcast Network. HyperX is our sponsor and the maker of the acclaimed Quadcast and Quadcast S microphones. Quadcast USB mics look and sound amazing and they're packed with features. With four selectable polar patterns, you'll get great sound no matter what you're recording. The included shock mount and pop filter mean you won't have to shell out extra cash for a great setup. Then there's the eye-catching LED indicator and tap-to-mute sensor, so you can tap in and tap out to stop broadcast accidents. It's time for you to tap in with the HyperX Quadcast and Quadcast S. I mean, this is one thing real quick then I'll go, about a book, then I'll go into a movie. Um, is it everyone aware of Kevin J. Anderson did a series of uh, Frankenstein books? Yes. And it yeah. was one of them was done as a TV movie, but it's like a Frankenstein meets a cop story in modern day. It's <laughs> like um, every TV show. <laughs> yes, it's kind of strange, but that just, you just made me uh, think of that. But But to go back to something I've actually been watching... I watched a bit of the Amazon uh, Wheel of Time series. And oh, okay. I'm, not, I'm not terribly familiar with the books. I know each of them are like a thousand pages a piece. You can kill manatees with them pretty easily. <laughs> and uh, they're just these big conkers. And, um, it, you know, I think for, for that kind of a show and me not knowing the books and it has a dense mythology, I think it's pretty easy to follow. I would say it's easier to follow than I thought season one of The Witcher was. Mm-hmm. But also... When people cast magic spells, there's far too many shots uh, done uh, from on top of people's heads, like a bird's eye view, and it just looks really weird. Weird, yeah. And and I don't know if they're they're it's these spells that have an area of effect, or like I don't know, wind blows through and knocks down everything. But from that point of view, it looks very video gamey and strange. But otherwise, the spell effects, special effects, look great. They have a lot of money into it. I, I don't really recognize any of the cast. One is of the characters the villain is what when, um is, is no wind, no one we could ever harness <laughs> but, but but the people that are magic which i believe are at one point it says all women like only women but then i guess some men can do some of it too but the magic all comes through the wind somehow even though that ah. lets them cast fire so go figure that one out did you ah. ever read those books thrasher wait the witchers or no sorry wheel of time Oh, we love Tom. Uh, no, I had I had several friends who were really into them. So sometimes it feels like I read them, and I was at one point involved in a uh, in a mush uh, for Wheel of Time. For those of you who remember mushes, I am not going to explain yes. what those are now. Um, okay. So, like, I know a lot of the lore and a lot of the story beats, and I did see the first episode of the show. It was it was okay. Uh, like. It, it's like I, I'm not in the mood for that kind of fantasy series right now, so I don't feel right. like I'm going to watch more. But if I was in the mood for a fantasy series, I think I would have just kept on going. Yeah, I was pleasantly surprised, um, me being a complete novice to it. And I'm really curious what uh, Amazon's going to do with their Lord of the Rings, the Second Age series, which takes place before the uh, way before the films. There, although I will say, because I know the lore of the Wheel of Time, there's what looks like a really awkward cut during the during the opening during the cold open. That's not an awkward cut. There's a re, there's a story reason why that cut is there. You just got to get into the weeds of the lore to know why. I don't know when they explain that because I haven't seen beyond the first episode. But I I kind of liked right off the bat they included that bit of strangeness. I see. Yeah, from what I understand, season one kind of combines the first two books, but. That I don't know what those books are. That that might mean something to our listeners, but I don't really know what that means. But yeah, I was pleasantly surprised. 
it's on Amazon. Um, they they're kind of doing an episode at a time, which I still think is kind of pointless when stuff is streaming. I would rather just have the big dump all at once. Yeah. Any thoughts on that? I I kind of I kind of prefer it when it's when it's released weekly, if only because it feels less like homework. Like I can like watch That's the episode fair. in my own at my leisure without feeling like I'm falling behind and like I, I I feel I feel less pressure to watch it now as opposed to watching it when I want to watch it it forces you to be a part of the world yeah more, more of a shared experience although yeah and frankly I can get burned out like I I enjoyed yeah, the Mandalorian yeah. a lot but I think like if I watched the whole show over like a weekend I wouldn't like it as much that's what happens sometimes. It's like, okay, a new mm-hmm. season drops, and it's like, oh, I know what we're doing today. Um, your anecdote about the manatee, though, just made me picture like Gene, like a sweaty Gene Hackman, like wailing on a manatee with a fantasy <laughs> book, which is <laughs> incredibly horrible and funny thing to picture. Like, ah, confess, you son of a bitch. No, I, I love manatees. My uh, grandma lives in Sarasota, Florida, yeah, and cool. and you can. Uh, they're known for manatee stuff in Florida, um, and they're so dumb to look at, and they eat like. They just feed them a lot of lettuce, and they can they can barely eat lettuce correctly. They're kind of like pandas; like it's a miracle they're still alive. Like they're not well, barely eat lettuce correctly. Like what? They get out a knife and fork, and they should take <laughs> tiny bites. What is eating they... lettuce correctly? I don't know. They they it's just like really sloppy. But I'm not a manatee, so I suppose everything's relative. <laughs> That's a weird tangent. Biography, but I'm not a manatee. <laughs> But yeah, I'm not a manatee, but that, that, but <laughs> not with that attitude. <laughs> Jeez, that's okay. Um, Thrasher, what's something you've been watching? All right, so I I kind of just got a got a, a sort of a wild hair because streaming services typically do a very shit job of of including like older older films. Yes. Like okay. it, it, mo- most streaming services don't be- like most streaming services don't believe anything was made before 1987 except Star Wars. <laughs> um, Amazon's so, probably better for that out of the main ones. Yeah, well, that's because they just got so much weird stuff. But and, mm-hmm. and you know, Tubi has a few, which is nice. Oh yeah, of course, Tubi. Tubi. Yeah. Disney, of course, has some older Disney stuff. Though they, it, although since they've removed through the decades as a category, it's very hard to find. Uh, but I decided to figure out well, what's the oldest movie on HBO Max or HBO Plus or whatever the whatever the hell it's called, the HBO thing. Yes. So I did some digging around, and I have found what I believe to be the oldest thing available on HBO Max. It is a silent film from 1898, making it 123 years old as of this recording. Damn. There's uh, probably something lumped in the Criterion section. Yeah, it's 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 roughly a minute long. Uh, <laughs> and it is star. It was written, directed, and starring George, George Melies. It is four troublesome heads uh, oh. in the which it's un homie de tetas, uh, which apparently literally means a man of heads. How is it? Yeah, that one's cool. It's actually very charming. Like it's a lot happens in in the roughly one minute. Um, it's it's based, and I really kind of got into it because I'm currently reading a book called Hiding the Elephant by Jim Steinmeier, which is about the history of of modern stage magic, uh, and this ties into it perfectly because. All the spec there are special effects in this, and they're all done through a mixture of film compositing and also uh, a, a stage magic technique called black art. Um, 
but essentially, like he he just kind of struts out. He waggles his mustache. He has a table on either side of him, and he pulls off his head, puts his head on the table. Then poof, he grows a new head. He pulls that head off, puts it on the table. Poof, and he keep and he keeps doing this until there's four heads on the tables, and like the heads are all pulling faces and looking around and reacting to everything with shock. It is exceptionally well timed, and the cuts are exceptionally well done. You can tell that George Melies has experience with both stage magic and and mime. And then he pulls out a banjo and he like strums the banjo and all the heads start bobbing and moving their mouths like they're all singing in chorus. Of course, you don't actually hear anything, but it looks like they're all singing in a very coordinated way. And, you know, then he like bows and, and, and that's the end. But it's so entertaining. Yeah, he truly, he knows how to do some cool shit. Um, and yeah, really gets the most out of the moving image. It's, it's really wild. Yeah, it's technically flawless. Like, it's a technical achievement from front to back. But also, George Melies has this stage actor charisma that translates so wonderfully to the short, silent film format. And like you said, like, you're getting every out, getting getting every value out of that minute. And it's like, once you have, like, a perfectly capped, like, you know... Like show, he whips out a banjo and they start bobbing. You know what I mean? Like, you could have just cut it off there. And it's a big finish. Like, yeah, the final anecdote's even better. I love it. Yeah, and because it's so old, you know, I'm sure I'm sure you could find this online right now. And and uh, it's it's a minute. Watch for the four troublesome heads. It gets a sequel. Yes, for me. I want <laughs> I want someone to make five troublesome heads. If if you're looking for some, you know, unburied treasures. Uh... What, unburied treasures. What the hell am I talking about? That's a dumb phrase. Um, <laughs> that that can, sounds like a like a pulp horror story. The unburied um, treasure. Another yes. tales to terrify. Yeah, but uh, uh, on um, HBO Max they have uh, a good selection of Popeye cartoons. Oh yeah. And those oh. are hard to get and out of print on disc. Um, and well, those Fleischer Popeye cartoons are so right, good. right. And I, I didn't realize it until uh, some. I think someone in the, in the Gilbert Gottfried Amazing Colossal Podcast Listener Society Facebook group pointed it out. And we all were going crazy over it because those are... Uh... Popeye, I think, is overlooked for some reason, and I'm not sure why. Um, they just well, haven't no, done a like, lot with He them. hasn't really been on television. Like, out, like, I think the last time Popeye was on TV was in the cartoon Popeye and Son in the 80s. I mean, um, aside and, from like super early Sunday mornings that would sometimes show up as part of a package on like on on TBS, but other than that, Popeye doesn't get much play. Yeah. No, in in the two thousands, um, there was like a CG Popeye and Dan Castellaneta, I think, might have voiced the title role or something. Oh well, but, well I don't believe that was ever finished, but Gendy Tartakovsky oh, oh, was, was supposed it? to do that. The, okay. the, the demo reel is amazing. Watch the demo maybe reel for Gendy Tartakovsky's Popeye. That, that could be what I'm thinking of. Um, but yeah, Popeye was uh, a strip that was huge. I mean, aside from well, being a spinach well, propagandist. Well, the strip was called Thimble Theater. Popeye was a supporting character. Yes, that broke out and become the star. But yeah, Popeye um, was a big piece of American culture. And I know Ralph Bakshi at one point talked about when you do a Popeye cartoon and couldn't get the rights or couldn't get oh, the money wow. for it. But that would have been something. He said he, he yeah. wanted to use... Uh, uh, like modern CG animation, but then use like 1930s cartoon physics and do something really wild with it. It would be fun. To, it would, it, and Popeye, I'm sure, would be involved in a lot of nudity. <laughs> um, 
I don't know. Not everything Bakshi did did nudity, but most of it did. I mean, he got started at Terry Tunes, I think, right? So. Well, I mean, obviously the Terry Tunes aren't going to have nudity, but there's nudity in so many of the other things he did. Yes, no, he's a very, uh, he's a very thirsty boy. So. Um, or you just hide? Are you just is is what you watching just old Popeye cartoons in general? Yeah, sorry. Um, yeah, I was just said you 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 mentioning the 1800s thing uh, on HBO just made me think of Popeye because that's something people might not know is on that service. Um, as as frustratingly organized as it is, I wish you could just sort by release date and on the app on Apple yeah. TV at least you can't on so many services and it. And especially with HBO Max, um, my wife and I get upset because we look and see, oh, what's new? But it's just like old stuff. It's just new stuff. They, you know, new movies they added to their library. But I want to see, like, can I just see what came out in the past three months? That yeah, I, yeah, I want a really good search feature. I want to be able to look at everything alphabetically. And I want to be able to look at everything chronologically. Like, I wish I could just search by year. I want to, what yeah. do you have from 1947? I want to see all that, you know? Yeah, that's and it's simple. It's not like a even hard right. Thing even maybe do. pick a decade and have it like do a surprise me. I feel like a nineteen seventies right. thing. Yeah, but but yeah, I I agree. It shouldn't be that hard, and I don't know why. But um, but I think I'm going to make this a project going forward. I am going to try to find the oldest thing on every streaming service I have access to. Oh, and if you want to look at classic Popeye. The Popeye, the Sinbad, the Popeye versus Sinbad the Sailor, or Sinbad the Sailor meets Popeye, whatever it's called, the Sinbad Popeye is a, you gotta watch it. It uses this amazing faux 3D animation technique yep. that must be seen to be believed. Oh, cool. Now I want to think who has Betty Boop, because you see those and all those dumb, like, uh, 200 cartoons in one disc collection where they look I, like I, I would assume Warner Brothers owns Betty Boop, just because hmm. she was another Fleischer thing. Yeah, but I don't know. Food for thought. We talked about cartoons for got cartoons in the brain. Uh, Alex, what have you been watching? Um, so it better be an old cartoon. Damn it. Um, I got nothing. I got nothing. But in a very expected turn of character, I recently rewatched an old favorite of mine, uh, Ching Su Tung's uh, directorial debut, A Duel to the Death. Um. This is such a cool goddamn movie. It's um, Ching Su Tung's first thing. He, you know, obviously got a reputation for doing good martial arts choreography. And it's like the most like cliche story ever. Like uh, every so many years, uh, so uh, someone from Japan fights someone from China, right? Um, and of course, meanwhile, there's uh, numerous conspiracies and, and undercover things. But this is like, this really is like one of the first truly batshit uh, like wuxia films out there you've got like ninjas flying in on kites you've got fucking guys burying themselves underground you've got people that just explode for some reason there's one scene where these guys are like you know flying in the air fighting kicking each other's ass cuts off one guy's head kicks it <laughs> impales onto a branch he utters some you know cryptic ism before for some unexplained reason his head just fucking explodes this is like and that's just like your average stuff that gets crazier and that's 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 a duel to the death in a nutshell. It's just that like, show me something I've never seen before. Level of like wuxia imagination, and it just got a like a souped up Blu-ray release by Masters of Cinema, and it's just great because like you know I'm sure you guys know this, but like so many of the old Hong Kong films are just like on these DVDs that are borderline just laser disc transfers, and <laughs> seeing this movie restored and it's it's kind of mm -hmm. stunning how good it looks. 
Yeah, I mean, not just Laserdisc transfers. Some are, look like videotape transfer. Um, right. I even saw, I mean, the, the single worst image quality I've seen on something was was a Blu-ray of all things for um, Highlander 2, the Renegade version. It's the only oh, version wow. on Blu-ray that's out there, but for it was like a weird interlaced European master, I think. So it has all these like shimmering lines through it. Like it looks, and 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 some of the movie looks good, like in the close-ups and stuff. But it, it's 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 pretty bad. And I'm not a huge snob on that kind of stuff. But that's like a movie that's fairly recent, right? That you think would have a better master, and it could be maybe there's a 4K version in Europe or something that looks great. But but no, I hear you on the martial arts stuff. It's great. They're getting the the love they deserve. The original cuts, not like the cut up American versions and stuff. Yeah, that was the other struggle, too, is that you'd find the coolest stuff and that it's the fucking dub version or just a crappy version. I give Miramax credit for releasing a lot of that stuff, but, I mean, they did cut the hell out of those Jackie Chan films and just about anything else. Oh, yeah, they, definitely. Because they, they did make a lot of that stuff mainstream, that new line, right? Uh, yeah, new line. Martial um, arts. Uh, what, what was the, the Tarantino the, label? Was it? Rolling Thunder. Rolling, yeah. Thunder, thank you. Yeah. Um, do you have any thoughts, Thrasher? I, I have also spotted many that were that were clearly laser disc transfers. I don't know. Like I, I everything everything you're describing just reminds me of uh, Ricky O, the story of Ricky. Makes yes. me want to watch that again. Yes, with the uh, that's where that clip from the Daily Show was, right? The old ones, or the yeah, the guy having his head yeah. exploded with a with a slap. <laughs> I think that was on the. Like, I had a sticker indicating that on my record store. It was like. You know the like, cut scene from the Daily Show, like that's that. Yeah, yeah, it did get like a brief American video release, Funny. and yeah, that that the, the, oh god, this would have been like the late '90s, early 2000s. Oh is yeah, when the Daily that. Show used that clip, and they uh, yeah, it, w- that was on certain video releases. I do recall that. Yeah, it was really and, weird. And actually, when when um, I don't remember if it was a special anniversary broadcast or it was when Kilborn left. And John Stewart came on, but they did a whole little feature like, okay, you know that weird clip? This is where it comes from. And they showed a bunch of other Gonzo clips from Story of Ricky. <laughs> wow, it's that's kind of pretty cool. funny when you go back to like that early comedy, earlier Comedy Central stuff. Like South Park was such a weird show the first like three seasons. Like the yeah. Daily Show was such a yes. weird fucking show. Um, just like really Gonzo and just weird, yeah. More absurdist, more. Um, at one season of South Park early on, I think it was either three or four, uh, to an extent, they speed up the voices and pitch them up to make them sound more like little kid voices, but they did yeah. it too much in one season and they almost sound like chipmunks. Like it's almost like, it's weird, right? yeah, yeah. Yeah, and... yeah. Early on, they just sped themselves up. It wasn't until later they learned they could just use audio editing to just pitch shift the voice. And that made it so much easier for them to record those characters. There might be a little bit of speeding up going on, but not, um, I mean, what's the real tragedy is in repeats of shows, they often speed stuff up by like 5% to fit in more commercials. Oh, actually, no, it's 10%. Excuse me. Ah, geez, that's awesome. There actually used to be a special video editing machine called a 10%er that you would just run your master through, and it would spit out a new master that was 10% faster, by essentially by pulling every 10th frame. Oof. So, I mean, again, oh. again, this is why home media is important. Physical media is important. I hope it, it never completely goes away. It, it's becoming more niche. 
Oh, an animation fun fact, the Simpsons episode, Who Shot Mr. Burns Part 2. That episode turned out to be so dense, they ran it through the 10 percenter for the original airing. Oh, really? Yeah, like it was it was so dense, that was the only way they could get it to proper broadcast length without having to cut any important scenes. They That's they 10 percented it. And, and and they believe it got 10 percented again for the syndicated run, although I haven't seen the one that's in syndication in a long time. I'd love to compare the two. Yeah, that'd be interesting. Um, I'm sorry, I'm losing track of time here. We're going a bit over. Alex, have you done what you're watching? Yes, you did. Everyone's done what yeah. you're watching. <laughs> OK, long, long, uh, long week. Um, DMU jet lag. OK, so uh, there's no uh, script read on this, but um, you don't want one anyway. No, Trust no, man, it's fine. Uh, but before we go, um, what is whose turn is it to pick the next series of movies? I don't know. I don't know either. Who, well, who picked Wait, this? One? Well, I did I The picked, Shining. Yes, I picked me? American Tale. So, so it must be it must Thrasher. Be you, Thrasher. Okay, so I'm I'm putting I'm putting my foot down. I've tried to do this before, but because you mentioned this in the pre-show banter. I hereby decree, let it be known throughout the land, especially in New Jersey, that the next series we're going to do is the Toxic Avenger Quadrilogy. Very good. Uh, Oh, and hey, do you all want to, do you all want to sort of like just mention the animated series piecemeal, or do you also want to review the the animated movie, which is really just like the first three episodes edited together? (laughs) (laughs) Um, I think it's available for free online. <laughs> I'm fine with the animated movie, I guess. Okay, uh, we'll make that part of the part of the fun. So we yeah, um, I don't. Did that come out uh, after two and three, or at the same time, or? Uh, it, yeah, it'll it'll be Toxic Avenger, Toxic Avenger Part Two, Toxic Avenger Part Three, Last Temptation of Toxie, then the Toxic Crusaders animated movie, and then Toxic Avenger Four, Citizen Toxie. Nice. I'll have to reach out to a uh, a friend of mine. Um, he actually worked uh, when he was younger on uh, Toxic Avenger Four or Citizen nice. Toxie, I believe. Very cool. Doing um, random. Uh, I think Doing he might have done some like camera work, whatever he did, eating cheese sandwiches in a basement to <laughs> as they do with all the casting crew in the Roger Corman fashion. Sweet. Okay, very good. So, um, I met. You can follow me on. Twitter at M-A-T-W-B-T. Uh, my uh, latest... Oh. Oh, no, I'm, I'm sorry. No, it is, it is your bit. I thought you were done. <laughs> no, it's fine. Uh, my um, latest book is a collection of short stories called Here's Mud in Your Eye and Other Short Stories. Sort of these uh, comedic uh, horror pieces that inadvertently most of them have anthropomorphism, although I didn't go into them planning that. So it's... Uh, the the audible version is being worked on and um, i'm really happy with the guy that's doing the audible so hope that comes out soon um thrasher all right well you can follow me on twitter at wt2art uh also check out uh my latest release 100 oddities for an arcane academy uh done through skirmisher publishing llc i co-wrote that book i illustrated it and it uh i think it's one of the best uh it's probably the best oddities book in the series i had a lot of fun making it had a lot of fun working with my collaborators uh so definitely definitely check that out um also uh 
go to Etsy, look for a punch in the art there. Uh, as of this recording, there's more stuff that I've designed. I've got enamel, I've got enamel pins. I've got uh, microfiber glasses wipes uh, that I've designed should be on that shop as well. So definitely check out a punch in the art on Etsy. That's a little, uh, it's a shop my wife started and she's been kind enough to let me, uh, let me move some of my own stuff in there. Cool. Thanks. And Alex. You can find me on the Twitter at CrabNebula1914. Um, I am also currently uh, ghostwriting uh, Matt's autobiography. I'm not a manatee, but <laughs> <laughs> I also drop by my YouTube channel, uh, The Trailer Project, for trailer commentaries and other uh, fun, weird stuff. Nice. Very good. I made the mistake while you were talking of um, opening a 1970s uh little scrooge mcduck action figure and now the plastic is releasing an awful smell <laughs> why why how do you have that and why did you open it <laughs> i don't know i said i usually give those things away for free um i i have it because there's a a, a guy online dinosaur dracula oh yeah and i said cool. i sent him some of my old videotapes um to because he wanted uh, old commercials from the the 80s and 90s and stuff, and then he sent me a, a box of goodies as a, as a gift, which he didn't have to do. It was very nice. That's and cool. most of that I give away when I talk at conventions. But I do like Scrooge McDuck, so that one I decided to take out of the plastic and uh, have it on my desk as a little accoutrement as we all work from home more now than ever. And I actually prefer that. So me too. Fuck open offices. <laughs> oh yeah. Um, on that note, for Sequel Cast 2, this is Matt. And this is Thrasher. This is Alex. Saying. <laughs> you got, oh, you, your dogs are a bunch of bullies. <laughs> well, let me, let, let, me, let me tell you something, Tiger. You, you really can't go on the newspaper like that. It's meant for people to read. You're not supposed to use it uh, to, to do your business on. I know it kind of smells nice, probably feels good when you scratch it, but you really have to avoid that. Please. Ah, uh, yeah, you see, I got so many scoops, you might as well call me Ben and Jerry. Yeah. Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> oh. When you said scoops, I was thinking scooping litter box, but yeah, you were talking newspaper scoops. Well, why not both? I'm the creature de la nuit. nowhere in the world is there a dog more than me.